0: Hi, I'm Simone W. Darnson-Smith, and welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America. Are you a professional, new to the United States, and struggling to monetize the expertise you brought across the seas? Are you feeling misunderstood and out of touch because you're struggling to understand the unstated rules of the American culture? Each week, we'll take an in-depth look at the positive contributions immigrants are making to the American culture, marketplace, and life. Our intention is to serve as a bridge from your culture to the American culture, giving you a roadmap of tools and the language to understand the unstated rules of the American culture. Let's get started. Hello, listeners, and thank you for joining us on another episode of the Immigrant Experience in America, where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States and around the world. Today, we're continuing our campaign in highlighting immigrant finance for the month of February. We do know it's Black History Month here in the United States. And of course, I'm doing my own personal amplification and campaign through my work and participating in events as the month go along. But for some reason... We had the idea to do the month of immigrant finance on our podcast. So happy Black History Month. Be sure that you're educating yourself if you're new to the United States and not aware of the history of Blacks in this country and the many contributions that are being made to this country. So make sure you're educating yourself if no other time, especially during February. Today we have for you Emlyn Miles Mattingly. Welcome to the show, Emlyn.
1: Thanks for having me, Simone.
0: Thank you. If you don't mind telling us a bit about yourself personally, professionally, as much as you'd like to share.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, first of all, thanks for having me on the show and uh, hello to all of your guests and listeners. So um, my name is Inland Miles Mattingly, as Simone said, and I am a financial advisor. And before I get to my professional stuff, i got to talk about my personal life, right? So I think that's, that's always super important. So I am the father of four, husband, father, um, entrepreneur. That's basically what I am. So we do have my wife, Sella, and then the kids, we have four kids. We have my oldest is Jada. We have Mia, we have Esela, and then we have little Emlyn. So that is the family. That is my why. And that's why I always start with them because that's why I do everything that I do. Been in financial services, I'm going to say this. And and even as I'm saying it, I was like, I can't believe it's been that long, almost 25 years. So this is all I've done. It's the only thing that I've done. Um, I started my career in banking. So I got a cool, fun story there, but I got into banking on accident. I was just going to get direct deposit because I didn't want to cash my check. I want to just get the check straight to the bank. Right. So this is in like 2000. 01 and I go into Bank of America and um, I was a direct TV sales specialist. I was working at Blockbuster. So for those of you that remember what Blockbuster was, if you've heard of Blockbuster, um, this is before Netflix, right? So uh, we, uh, I worked at Blockbuster, and I, uh, long story less long, I ended up trying to sell uh, the person that was opening up my account a block uh, Direct TV because that's what Blockbuster was partnered with, and he offered me a job. So there goes my banking career. That's how I got in. Started as a teller, um, worked as a teller for a few years. Uh, after that, I became. Uh, new accounts person did that for two years. And then I was a branch manager uh, at the age of 26 for about five years. It was quite a run, but it was, it was super fun. So that led me into finance from there. I wanted to be in a financial advisor. We always had, uh, even in my office when I was managing it, we had an advisor come in. And when the advisor was there, you know, they always left early showed up late clearly they made more money than everybody else because they drove the nicest cars and all this other stuff that they had that went nice suits nice cars i was like what do these guys do so that's how i started to look into what i wanted to do as a financial advisor um not really understanding what they did just knew how they looked and my grandfather always had this saying and and it it made sense to me but he said if you look like someone you act like someone people will treat you like someone and so i seen this guy in the office and i said i want to be treated how he's treated And uh, even though I was the manager, which kind of weird, right? you think in the bank, the manager is like the top position that you can have in the local uh, environment. And uh, I found out that the financial advisor was making more impact in people's lives than I was at the branch manager level. So I wanted to be that person. Um, Fast forward a few years, uh, spent five years working at an insurance company after I left the bank and then started my own firm. Uh, after that, this is the sixth year of running my own firm, Gen Next Wealth. We are a uh, financial planning and uh, investment management firm, specializing in working with minority families. Um, reason why we did that, and this is just kind of like the the long extended version, but the reason why we did that is because when I was looking at my book of business and the people that were coming to me that for help, they were all minorities of some shape, of some from somewhere, and and what it what it led me to believe is that minorities. We're looking for answers to questions not necessarily trying to find products and when i was working at the insurance company the only way that i was compensated was to sell them products but people needed more advice than they needed next the next product so um when we started our firm in 2017 we started gen next wealth and that was to, on the mission uh to change the complexion of wealth. And and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But that's kind of my my story mm-hmm. and and how I got to where we are now. So six years into my firm. And uh I, I haven't talked about some of the other stuff that we do, but we'll 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 get into that as we go.
0: Yes. Interestingly, I actually got hired <laughs> as a teller from Kmart. My go. very first job, right after high school, I was at came out working in layaway and the the hiring person came in and just chatted me up and then offered me a job and there i went mm-hmm. <laughs> and i started off and i was a teller all through undergrad and then i went into like state street bank uh, right out of undergrad and then transitioned into government after that mm-hmm. but that was my story too I, I, so mm-hmm. i guess they do go around and look for people, you know, and uh, that's an easy hiring somebody away if they show obvious skills that they're looking for. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. In our pre-talk, you shared that you did some international travel and, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, you're not necessarily an immigrant yourself, but you, I think you're married to one and you guys Mm -hmm. do a lot of international travel. Can you talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about that and maybe how you guys met, where you've traveled, how your children are managing this dynamic of being like part American and part also connected to your wife's heritage?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a great question. So um, international travel. So my wife and I will start with how we met. We actually met at the bank. So met at the bank, um, I believe she was a teller and I was going through the management training program. I happened to do a rotation at her branch. Well, we didn't start dating till years later, but that's when we met, like in like in 07. And then about five years later, we we started dating. I want to say about 2012. Yeah, that about right. About 2012, we started dating. And so through that, my wife is actually from Mexico. So she's, she immigrated here when she was very, very small, uh, very young, her and her whole family. So it was her and her two sisters with her mom and grandmother that came, uh, that came here from Mexico. Uh, And then from there, it it really just kind of, when we thought about international travel, I want to talk about this. Just, just, we traveled to Hawaii. That was our first one. Obviously that's not international, right? But that was our first time that we had traveled somewhere and had like, a, a, you know, not, not a, not a family visit vacation, like where we actually went and stayed at a hotel, stayed somewhere, stayed there the whole time had, you know, like a real vacation. So that was the first time we did it. And at that point in time, we said, you know, what we want to travel more. This is something that we want to do. And so through our travels, we've been able to go to, we've been to, uh, London, We've been to Paris. We've been to Italy. We've been to Jamaica. We've been to Mexico several times. Um, my wife actually has been to Peru and climbed Machu Picchu, and she'll never let me live it down that she's done that, and I haven't. But what this travel experience has done for us is given us a better worldview and given us more perspective on how things work around the world. And, and, and I think also... Uh, helps us with our helps me with my clients when I'm working with them and they have international families you know when they have to go back or when they have to send money back or understanding the dynamics of that part of culture as it pertains to immigrants and their families because I think that had we not done the, the international travel and kind of seen how things were and, and I mean those some of those countries I don't have a lot of clients from some of those countries but I do have clients from other countries and and when I'm when I'm sitting there and I'm I'm trying to develop what our world view is and how it pertains to finance it makes it so much easier for us to understand having traveled abroad and seeing how things are worked different in different countries like i think here in the united states my my grand like one thing that i always say is is uh, they have trained us here to live to work. And I notice in a lot of other countries, they work to live. And that's a big mm-hmm. difference, you know, and and you don't, you know, you think about places like Spain where they have siestas and you think about, um, I remember the time that we spent in Jamaica, it was just so different, right? And and it, it really gave us perspective about what we wanted to do with life, and and it really trickled down into our finances. And we said, do we want to live to work, or we want to work to live? You know, and and making adjustments in our personal life so that we didn't have to work so much, so that we could enjoy uh, traveling and experiencing life. Because you know, we're only here for a short time, and and I don't want to work myself to death. So that's a little bit about our international travel experience. Hopefully, hopefully, that touched on on, on what you were looking for there.
0: Yes, that's a great observation. Great observation. Moving from overseas myself, having been born and raised part of my life in Jamaica, I am now being here most of my adult life and professional life. This is all I know. I have become quite American in the grind and working and constantly going, juggling so many things it's just now that I'm realizing Simone, you're this hybrid of these two cultures. And how do you find a balance where you can really make space for the people who fill you up, the relationships that are important and not pouring yourself so much towards work because life is more than that, right? It's Mm -hmm. important to achieve and all of that, but life is just so much bigger than that. So thank you for underlining that. So I reached out to you because, of course, we're celebrating and highlighting immigrant finance here in February. And so I wanted to talk about financial wellness and the current landscape of the U.S. and and where finances lie between the different ethnic groups and so forth. I saw something yesterday. I've heard some people speaking last year through a class that I took. Some of the statistics are sad, but I'll let you get to why you have this desire to change the complexion of wealth.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So when we think about financial wellness, I always think about this. I, I like to back up about financial wellness. And and, and and when I say take a step back is because one thing that I think is missed in all the financial planning and the financial wellness and wealth building and anything else that you have that does around money is that finance is incredibly personal. And I'll say it again. I, I stopped there for a reason. Like finance is personal. So when you think about your own personal financial wellness, it has to be what's personally working well for you or what will work well for you. It can't be some like thing that, oh, well, statistically says that at this age, you need to put this much money away, or we're not looking for algorithms and stuff. We're looking for real people and how to help them uh, change their finances so that they can have you know, a more well-rounded, I'll say this, not even well-rounded, a better relationship with money. Like that's really what it it boils down to is having that relationship with money. And so when we think about the current landscape of the United States, uh, as as we're talking about this specifically, because I want to talk about why I I wanted to change the complexion of wealth. So for a long time, um, for every, and let's just talk about wealth in the United States and how it's skewed away from minorities and specific group in this one, we're going to talk about uh, black Americans. So when we're looking at this and we're talking about wealth, we're not talking dollars and cents, we're talking wealth for every $5 or every hundred dollars of wealth that a white family has, a black American family only has $5 of that same wealth. And and it's staggering to think that's staggering, right? For every hundred dollars they have, we have five. And and I stopped there and I I thought like, and I, I hear these numbers and I'm thinking to myself, like, How do we change that? Because wealth, that means that wealth is overwhelmingly white. And and so when I was thinking about changing the complexion of wealth, it was like wealth needs to have a tan. And how do we do that? We have to be able to help our own, you know, go back and and help your own. And and what I found in in the work that I'm doing through, you know, some of the podcast stuff that we have, we have the minority money podcast, which is changing the complexion of wealth is a tagline. And what I'm finding a lot is that minorities. And black specific have not been it's not that we aren't making enough money right? Because my target market for my clients is first-generation six-figure income earners, right? So that's who I work with. So for me to be able to build a business with six first generation six-figure income earners means that there's a lot of them out there. So it's not that we're not making money. It's that we are missing the wealth-building principles. And so when I think about changing the complexion of wealth, it's interjecting or teaching or giving people the tools they need to create their own personal financial plans, Right to make their own personal financial goals and to ultimately be able to change that complexion of wealth. And so, one of the ways that we do that is is hugely through uh, investments, right? And I'm not talking about like the you know because we've seen a lot of stuff with uh, you know you've seen the stuff that happened with FTX if you're not familiar with that the the uh, the, the exchange. training yeah the, the, yeah the cryptocurrency exchange. So we've seen that we've seen what happened with Robinhood. We've seen all these things, and I, there's so many people that are out there falling victim to these get rich quick schemes right and and so what i say as we're gonna if we're trying to change the complexion of wealth we have to subscribe to a get rich slow plan what do i mean the blocking and tackling the basic building blocks of building finance is saving you can't control how much money you make you can't control how much money you can control how much money you make you can control how much money you spend And you can definitely control how much money you save. And when I look at the vast difference between cultures, black people in specific in this example is are not saving as much as our white counterparts. And we know that saving is going to be and it doesn't matter. Like one of the things that I heard. Um, one of my clients talked to me about when we were talking about savings it, it was uh you know um shout out to jabbar if he ever gets a chance to listen to this but what he told me was he said I got it you know one time he said my pastor told me this he said look he said if you want to save money you you need to save money he said you're gonna have to pay bills every month and, and in 10 years 10 years is gonna pass before you know it he said so you can look at these next 10 years One of two ways: either you're going to look at ten years and say, ten years from now, you know, you put fifty dollars away every month, and look at what the balance grew to, or you're going to look back in ten years because they're going to pass and have nothing to show for it. So it doesn't matter how much money you put away, long as you're putting something away. Another example I have is: so, um, you know, I don't know if there's any if if you're a Beyonce fan or not, but. Beyonce has her new world tour coming up, new, new concert coming up. Right. And I seen this the other day. And so this, this, it was on, it was on social media. I think I was seeing it on Instagram. There was some lady who posted this. She said in 2018, when I went to my Beyonce concert, I knew that I was going to want to go back when she made her next tour. So what I did after that in 2018, I started putting $50 away every month. Waiting to get those tickets, so it wasn't. The, you think about fifty bucks, and, and you know all of us can spend fifty bucks like that, right, on something. You can go have a good good meal, or go have some drinks, or whatever it is that you want to do when you can spend fifty bucks. But this person had made it a mission to save that money. So lo and behold, the Beyonce tickets go on sale last week. You know, with her fifty dollars a week that she or fifty dollars a month that she was saving since twenty eighteen, that made gave her almost I want to say like in between twenty four and uh, almost three thousand dollars tickets are about 700 bucks. So she gonna have enough money for a ticket. She didn't have enough money for, you know, her plane ticket. If she needs to fly somewhere, she have enough money for whatever she needs because she was intentional about saving. And I can't say it enough. You have to be intentional about what you want to accomplish financially speaking.
0: Very succinct. I so saw, I'm, I hear these statistics all the time and I'm wondering where are they getting the statistics? Is it um, department of commerce? Is it the Department of Labor? Are they just basically going based on people's salary statements from the I how are they calculating this? I mean, it's yeah. just it seems daunting because I see so much black wealth mm-hmm. around. So
1: when you look at it like this, there's a few different ways, but you can take a you can take a big look at the custodians. So basically, let's go back to the custodians that people that were and custodian is just a big word for bank, right? So if you're investing money right you're not going to have that necessarily at a bank it's going to be held at a custodian like fidelity one um charles schwab is another big one pershing bny mill whatever your money's over there you can take those that money and look at statistics and see who has what right because the number the the if 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 you've answered any type of ethnic ethnicity questions on that then they can track who has what money and that's where you see the glaring glaring shortfall for us like a lot of us haven't even like and and i think it's just basic things right it's just it's not it's it's i I won't i don't like using the the term financial illiteracy because i don't like to use literacy because i think once you learn how to like I, i just that's just my own thoughts when someone um learns how to learns how to do something or becomes literate in something does that mean that you stop doing it at that point? Um. And so that's why I don't like to use that word. I like to use financially educated. So you know one of the things that we can look at is is our participation in retirement plan accounts. We don't participate at the same rate as other people, right? We're taking percentages of our income or some people aren't putting money into it. You know, there's a lot of loans that are going out when you have done that, right? So now you're taking money away from yourself. So one of the first things I would say, let's back up to the, to the retirement planning. If you're working for someone, if you have an employer and you're not enrolled in their company plan, then you're missing out on money. I don't say free money. I don't like that term free money. And this is why, because that's a negotiated part of your compensation. When a company says that you have this retirement plan feature as a part of where you work, that is a part of your negotiated Compensation, meaning that, that if you're times. not taking that, that's money that belongs to you that you're not getting. Not free money that's negotiated and it already belongs to you. Now you're leaving it on the table. So that's one thing I think. Understanding our benefits, like our company benefits, I spend a lot of time with my clients making sure they know that. That's a low-hanging fruit that would immediately increase the amount of wealth that people would have just by, you know, maybe putting three percent away. A lot of a lot of company plans will have a like, you put a three percent, they'll match three percent. Some go up to six. So if you're doing three and the company doing six, that's 9% of your money right there. How are we going to build wealth if we're not getting that? You, You know what I mean? And so I think about in terms of employees. Now, if you're an entrepreneur, there's a whole different way to do it. But as employees, this is one way that, you know, you'd want to make sure that you take advantage of this because it is a part of the compensation that they're already paying.
0: I specifically, as it concerns Immigrant communities, like what have you noticed, like the behaviors, the mentality towards money? What are you seeing with the folks that you're meeting with, and, and particularly because your wife is is an immigrant American, yeah. um, I'm wondering, like the communities that she's pulling into the business that you guys are doing, like what what are you seeing with those statistics?
1: Yes, absolutely. So when it comes to people, and this is where I'm pulling a lot of this information from, because you yeah, to remember, most of most of my clients are minorities, and a large majority of them are uh, a lot. We got a, we got a good good amount of them that are that are immigrants. And so one of the things that I think I see the most when it comes to immigrants is fear, scared to make mistakes, right, and scared to not know what they don't know, like scared asking questions, scared to. A little apprehensive about trusting people, and this is this is all because I think um, one, the financial services industry has done a bad job of of, of taking care of immigrant uh, clients. I think that you know it's already a challenge coming to this country, right? It, it, you get here, and then when you get here, our financial system is not the most friendly, right? So understanding all of these nuances of what we have, like okay, so understanding how our taxes are are, are taken care of, right? And, and so having that saying, okay, so if you take this money out of your check, it's going to lower your taxes. And then being trying to explain that what I've ran into the most is people just not knowing, and then having to get to that place where they trust you enough to tell you that they don't know something so that you can help explain what they don't know. And, and I've seen that happen, um, across cultures, not just, you know, my, my wife is Mexican. So we do have a lot of, a lot of Hispanic clients, but. I've seen it with my African clients. I've seen it with my other, you know what I mean? Wherever my clients have been from. And quite frankly, it depends on how many generations they've been. Like if it's first generation, first gen, it's a little different than second, third, fourth, you know what I mean? Like my grandparents were here and then they had. So because a lot of those things that uh, that I'm talking about, maybe their grandparents had learned. And then if they got it to their parents, then now a lot of the people that are second, third generation here usually have some of the financial Aptitude, but there's still some missing pieces because you know here in the states we just don't do a good job of teaching people money uh, teaching people about money. So I'd say the biggest thing once again is is just fear operating out of fear and and not being able to operate in a place of informed power.
0: Wow, and leaving money on the table. I love that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I learned that I was doing that, and I started educating myself about how to negotiate my salary because people. Everybody thinks you can't. I thought I couldn't Mm -hmm. (laughs) until I learned. I was like, what? How many dollars did I actually leave on the table over the years? Plus, Mm -hmm. I'm an immigrant, a black female, and we don't get how many cents on the dollar do we get paid compared to other groups. So you have to wonder, like, how much money have I left on the table versus when you're bringing a dollar By the time it hits your account, inflation takes effects and it's probably worth less than a dollar. So how much money are we actually losing from not even participating in the stock market or investing in other things? It's just, it's mind blowing, which is why I really wanted to bring this up this month to start off the year. So a part of my experience on my next question is how do immigrants experience the financial industry? The Mm -hmm. reason why I started educating myself here in the last two years is because My husband and I worked really hard to pay off some student loans that I had and Mm -hmm. some other debts that we had through the Dave Ramsey program. Then I thought, oh, I need somebody to advise us about what our next step is. We want to invest, now that we've freed up some of our money. How do we grow financially and Mm -hmm. to leave a legacy for a daughter and to make life a little bit more easier, have our money work for us, if you may. And I reached out and I realized I wasn't getting the reception That I thought I would get right Mm -hmm. I think when there's a there's some issues with biases surrounding people with accents, Mm -hmm. once they think you're immigrant and you don't understand the industry they assume you don't have the money, they don't know my background. And I remember reaching out to a guy, giving some numbers, and he promised to put a plan in, through my job and to get back to me. Months passed. The guy never got back to me. And I reached out to his boss and I said, is he still working there? He never mm-hmm. followed up. And the, the boss was so mad and he tried to follow up with me, but I, had, I was so turned off at that point. Mm-hmm. This is when I said, I need to learn this stuff myself. And I took a class all of last year. I learned how to do real estate investment trust, learned how to buy my own stocks, how to start putting money away directly into the stock market, watching certain stocks on the stock market, how to invest, where to put it, how to read the statements. And I said, why would I ever go pay anybody to do this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now that I know? And because of the reception that I initially got. So I'm wondering, and I know there are other people out there who are dealing with these biases because they assume we don't have money and we don't, you know, we don't have the big... Chunk of money that they can make money off of, so they don't want to take us on as clients. So, mm-hmm. what you know, how are the the immigrants that you're working with experiencing the financial industry of the United States or elsewhere?
1: Yeah, I mean, I can speak how they are with me, but what? Let me take a step back before I get there and talk about how interactions with the financial services industry typically go for people of color, because that's 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 what we'll talk about, and 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 immigrants specifically. So even my journey into the industry like getting into the industry like let's let's because i'm because i want to talk specifically to the yeah. industry real quick no one wanted me in the industry right uh so when i went to bank of america it was you know i went there as a teller not as a financial advisor when i got to the place where it was time for me to be a financial advisor i interviewed with almost every big firm that they had um, you know, I won't name names, but I interviewed with some of the larger firms and no one wanted to take me. Now, mind you, I had all my securities license. I had my life insurance license. I had all the licenses that, I, you know, dim- that everything that was required of me, I had done. Um, when I went to that place, they did not want me there. <laughs> no one would take me in. So if that's the experience that I'm having as someone that's trying to be a, you know, be a professional in this industry and they don't want me in it. I can only imagine what it feels like for a client when they try to put minimums in, when they try to do, you know, you can only invest with us if you have this X amount of dollars. Well, that's a straight way to say I don't want to work with people that are building wealth. I only want to work with people that have wealth. Notice I didn't say that people that don't have anything. I said people that are building wealth and and, and a lot of advisors will not work with people that are building wealth. And the difference is now that there's more people like me getting into the industry, right? There's more people of color. There's more men of color. There's more women in the industry now, or they're coming into the industry. Things will change for the experience in the financial services industry for immigrants because there will be more immigrants being able to help them one of the things that we've done to help this is we're talking about changing the complexion of wealth is we started an organization called the onyx advisor network so what is the onyx advisor network it is a resource platform for um, underrepresented financial advisors to go and help them scale uh, start scale and sustain their practices what does this do for the my, the, the immigrant experience is it gives more people with diverse backgrounds and opportunity to run financial planning practices to help the people that they want to help. We have a—I have one of my uh, one of my good friends, Anna and Jai Cote. She works with first-generation immigrants. That's her market. Um, and I think about people that have created businesses to serve the markets that they care about. And the more people that we can get into this industry to serve the people that need the help the most. The experience will continue to change, right? So we need to have more of us, and this is, you know, this is underrepresented people in the industry to make the experience better for people like us. Because there's cultural competence, right? There's people that can talk about things and and, and say, okay, well, we want to have some some more. Um, we need to have better understanding about that. But there's nothing better than looking across the table, or looking across the screen, or looking across the room. With someone that's talking to you about your finances and they just understand you as a person. They hear you, they see you, they understand, you know, that there's some things that you're going through in your family that are different than the traditional American experience. If you if you've immigrated here, there may be family that you have to send money back to. There may be family that you're visiting. There may be family that are finance that you were financially supporting while you're in this country and you have to send money back to them. And me telling you, that that's going to be detrimental to your financial plan because you're not able to put 15% of your income back to, to save for retirement, ain't the answer that you want to hear. You want to know that I can take care of my family, I can still live this American life, and I'm going to be all right. And 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 you should be able to be all right. You should be able to have someone that's going to be able to meet you where you are and talk to you about what you need in your family because these are your personal financial questions and personal financial mission that you're on. So I think that the biggest thing is um, the experience right now isn't great. You've alluded to that. It hasn't been great. I can share with you the experience for me getting into the industry wasn't great, right? But I can tell you this, help is coming. I can tell you this, the experience will be better for all immigrant clients. Like, I think that being able to find someone that you can work with is a big thing, right? And I think that when you can find someone that changes the experience, right? And and so it's one of those things right now, we're working on some stuff with other groups to put together a portal where people can go in and try to find advisors that match their values, that match, you know, their understanding and that are able to meet people where they are instead of making them feel inadequate for not having everything that they're supposed to at this point in their life.
0: The funny thing about it is that wealth distribution or ability of people around the world to earn income is not always set up in a fair manner. Mm -hmm. People are at times leaving their homes uh, in other countries to Mm -hmm. seek employment here only because the environments for work and labor has broken down in their own countries. Mm -hmm. And it didn't just break apart or fall apart independently all by itself there there's a global market and there's a whole system that's set up economies are linked to others and so if you want to talk economics and how it impacts like for example Mexico through the NAFTA and them losing their whole the the Mm -hmm. corn industry right Mm -hmm. and nobody's even talking about the fact that now these people who used to depend on agriculture can no longer do that because Part of it is that Mexico is importing corn and they used to be like a big provider of corn. Mm-hmm. The milk in- industry, dairy industry in Jamaica fell apart. There's a whole documentary out there about how they, mm-hmm. they just kind of lost that market because it's a small island. They can't compete on the global scale. And now they're importing all sorts of stuff. So that kills the labor market in their own countries, right? So mm-hmm. there's a huge, huge economical conversation that needs to take place that people aren't really talking about but we're so quick to jump to but any case th- that's the whole thing about bias it's usually very ignorant and ill-placed and just not informed right when you yes. see people behave like that or, or to mm-hmm. even see the bigger context of what's going on but any case I digress
1: no no I think that's a good thought and I think that I think that the you know one thing that the pandemic has shown us is this this economy is global right it's like i remember in you know in in 2019, um we're just putting along, you know, living life, doing what we're doing. And we hear about this. Thing. I don't know about when you heard about it. I heard about it in like August. I mean, not August, like uh, October. There's a virus, coronavirus in China. And I'm thinking, ah, eh, it's all the way in China, right? What that got to do with us over here? And slowly but surely, (laughs) over the next two, three years, we have seen how connected everything is. I mean, we can talk about the past price of oil. We can talk about the price of um, corn in this place. We can talk about the price of uh, uh, eggs. We can talk about dairy, milk. And what I'd say about that is like, we are interwoven. We are connected. You know, um, other things that happen in countries, you have war torn countries, right? You have places like uh, where, where there's, where there's civil war going on in the country and people have to, you know, people have to get out. So there's all kinds of things that are going on. What I'll say is this, that when we see the connection, it's really hard to like, it it puts you in a, I don't want to say like a, like a, like depressed, but it's a tough thing. Cause when you look at it, like, what can you possibly do? Right. What can you possibly do to impact what's going on with the corn in Mexico? What can we possibly do? And and so one of the things that I look at when we do this and in terms of investing. Right. So there's this thing called ESG investing. And and I'm bringing this up because I think that when we talk about the global economy and how um, how everything's connected, uh, ESG is going to stand for environmental governance. And social. So there's those are the three things that they focus on when they do the investing. So let's take this case in point. Let's say that there is some country. We'll just use a this is just an example. This is not, I'm not saying that Marriott is doing this. I'm just using this as an example because Marriott's a big name. But let's just say Marriott was um, you know, getting some of the stuff that some of the, some of the supplies they need to build their hotels from a country where they practice child labor laws. They didn't practice child labor laws and they had, you know, sweatshops and whatnot. What happens in an ESG investing is they will not put that company inside of the funds and they will not put money into that company. Now, understand this. When you invest on things that you value, you need to make sure that the things you value aren't uh, the things that you invest in aren't harming things that you value case in point, with some of the things that are going on globally, right? So the other thing is, one of the things that they will not do, and this one in particular one, there's a fund called the the Freedom 100 Fund, and it's only works with countries that have free governments. So they don't do any investing in China, they won't do any investing in Russia, which makes sense. They won't do any investing in um, other countries that have those types of governments that are not for the people. So there's a lot of ways that you can align your values with your investment strategy support those things that you want to support because it can seem like it's overwhelming, right? Like how can I help what's going on over there? Well, how I help is by not investing in companies that are detracting from things that I like. And so when there's countries that you see with things going on in them and you wanna be able to invest in things to help them, it's good to be able to have investment options that can support things that are gonna support things that you love.
0: Interestingly, I just did in January a whole month of campaign for tra- trafficking in persons. Mm-hmm. And my very last interview, you should check it out, is with UN Observer, right? Uh she spoke about ESG as you mentioned that and and how we should we should know that every dollar that we have, it's, you know, economics is very powerful. And where you put your dollar, we don't talk about it enough, but it's very powerful if you you know, watch where your money is going and making sure that you're putting it in places that support you, support the uh, the things that you value, the people that you value and so forth. We can't just go around every day just blindly doing this, right? It, it takes a little bit more responsibility. Of course, it can be stressful at times going that deep to really follow the money. But, you know, if you can, we ask you to do so. But the whole trafficking idea, she talked about being careful and just being mindful and looking for companies who are informed or participating in this whole ESG thing that you mentioned because they're coming at this whole trafficking thing by trying to bankrupt this whole profiteering mm-hmm. it goes so deep and this whole idea that companies now are looking at contracting out their labor it creates a whole another world where these contractors can get their labor from anywhere through any means possible and they can mm-hmm. basically claim that they didn't know that, you know, people are being trafficked or child labor is being used in the processing or manufacturing of their pro- of their products because they've contracted out that whole piece of it. And mm-hmm. so sometimes I tell you, it hurts my head because I see too much and I don't know, I'm having this conversation to educate people because I don't really necessarily know what else I can do, but for the everyday citizens, right, just listen and, and educate yourself and pay attention. I'll add on to that. I think
1: that I think the candor in the, um, you know, you gotta you, you tell the people to tell the people what they need to hear. And I think that when it comes to the ESG stuff, the reason why I love it so much is because you don't have to do the work. You have to, you know, just as long as you understand what ESG is, like we're telling you, it's touching on these three different elements or different places, then you will know that. The companies that you're working with have already done the initial scrub. Now we're talking about the the trafficking on one side, but also the other thing that I think is also important is who is in C-suite positions for companies, who is sitting on the board for companies. Do they have a diverse board? Do they have enough women on the board? Do they have people of color on the board? Do they have uh, even even um, sexual or- orientation diversity on the board? Like, are they is everything being represented? On this board for this company. And if they're not, then the scrub will be done and it'll say this is not a company that we want to take on. Because if the company is not a company that doesn't have like a diversity initiative at this point, doesn't have a growth initiative, because we know that by 2043, the majority with the new majority will be here. We won't call them minorities. and We will no longer be minorities in the next 20 years. We will be the new majority. And so what that says is when we're looking at these ESG things, those are forward-looking companies that are going to change the way that things are going, right? And so if we can bankrupt a company, we can starve off the, the cash that's coming to a company for illegal activities, then we're going to be able to help. And I think having more women in positions of power is going to also detract from things that are negative going on at the business. And the reason being is because they're going to have a different worldview. They're going to have a, more, a different set. It's not going to be the same thing that you've always seen. And that, that's what excites me about this. this, because I think that sometimes we can get caught up in, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but I'm just saying sometimes it's easy to get caught up and get overwhelmed in what all the bad stuff that's going on. It took a long time for the bad stuff to get this bad right it took a long time a lot of overlooking a lot of turning an eye a lot of not saying anything for it to get to where it's at and i'm saying now um that people are tired of the way things were and people want to make changes and this is why you're seeing it on on different levels like you're seeing it on the you know the one to one level, like you and I talking about it, right? We're seeing it on the one to many level when we see, you know, other podcasters like you and myself being able to send this out. Then we also see it coming down from the investment advisors, right? There's more organizations that are supporting more investment advisors coming out to help people with money, um, to help people establish how to build wealth. I think there's more people coming up that look like us politically there's more local government stuff that's helping us because we're getting more representation at the local level at the city county level that's going to help change things so i think that it's it's going to be a slow change but i think it'll be a lasting change because of the way that's going on You're seeing all these uh, people in positions of power and authority that weren't there before
0: but, I mean, the fact of the matter is that all of us participate in the, the wider economy. We have to buy in order for profits to come in to a company, right? In order for their, their manufacturing and they want to make a profit on their stuff. If we, if there's nobody to buy, we can't always just be the, con- the consumers. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to get a little bit of this pie. And it's just this is where the paradigms come in and how you really see the world and, and how greed comes in. And uh, it's another a conversation that I'll leave for another day. Yeah. But But we're all participating in this economy in order for it to keep going around and working, whether it's within here in the U.S. or globally. We're all participating. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if you can talk a little bit then more focused on minority finance and what services you alluded to some of that early and how do people find your services or connect with you if they want to consult with you, hire you or to seek any courses or whatever other services you provide?
1: Thank you for asking that. And then uh, what other services we provide? So first of all, like I said, with Gen Next Wealth, we're a financial planning and um, investment management firm. What we do is we work with people in a few different ways. Like You can come in and uh, you can find all this information on our website. That's www.gennextwealth.com. That's all one word, gennextwealth.com. And so there you'll see that we work with couples and single people doing financial planning. We also, that financial planning is going to be for a 12 month engagement. And and the reason why we do it for a 12 month engagement is because we don't want to just give you a nice little binder, pat you on the butt and say, good luck, figure out all that good stuff we put in there. So we work with you um, and help you make those financial decisions that you need to make. And if you think about it, like when I really sit down and think about what we do for our clients is we partner with our clients to make sound financial decisions for now and forever, right? Because we need to make the sound financial decisions now that are gonna impact our forever. So the other thing that we do there is we um, we do estate planning with our clients as well. So we do the financial planning, we do some estate planning where we'll put together an estate. Um, and a lot of people come to me and they'll say, yeah, I want a trust. Well, a trust is a document that's in part of the estate plan. So you're gonna have your trust, you're gonna have your will, your advanced healthcare directive, you're gonna have all power of attorney, You know, I think the the healthcare directive is such a big thing because people want to be able to pass away with dignity. And and if you have um, you know, your way to make the decisions about how you end life, Mm -hmm. because we all, you know, this this is life, no one makes it out of life. We got a plan for that. So we do that on the estate planning piece. And then uh, the other thing that we do in the last way that we help people is with the investment management. You can make all those financial decisions on your own and pick your own investments or you can hire us and we'll sit down with you, find out what things you value, uh, align those values with your investments and to get you started on your way. Um, one of the things that I think uh you know you you may have heard this before but it's an old saying it says when is the best time to plant a tree you know was 20 years ago right if you want to get some shade from a tree best time to plant it was 20 years ago 20 years from now that tree would be sitting there with a whole bunch of shade helping you out the second best time is today. So if you have never invested before and you've been sitting there, don't sit there and continue to wait and say, man, I wish I would have planted that tree a long time ago so I could sit under this shade. The best thing to do is to get started as soon as possible. And that means however much money it is, doesn't matter if it's 50, doesn't matter if it's 100, doesn't matter if it's 1,000, whatever it is that you can do, um, whether you start with us here at X Wealth, you start with someone else, or you start in your bank account, make sure that you start. And that's all I can say.
0: I think part of the immigrant mentality is work hard and save. And it's not a bad thing, but Mm -hmm. you have to keep in mind something that I didn't think about for the longest time because I was just kind of, you know, hustling. Mm -hmm. That when you bring in a dollar, it's not even worth a dollar because you can't really buy a dollar worth of goods once that thing hits your bank account because of inflation. So that means that you cannot depend on your nine to five to um, carry you through life, you have to think about investing some of that money, spending part of it for your needs, putting part of it to work for you, and perhaps putting part of it for retirement to help you later on in life. So this is why what Emlyn does is so important. I mean, you have to be smarter about how you manage your money so that a few te- years down the road, you have something that has worked for you and have a little bit more and you're not losing By just keeping your money just sitting in a bank account and it's earning Mm 0.0001%, if that. I really just wanted to share some folks for you to tap into, to get some guidance. And, you know, you can educate yourself. There's tons of stuff online. If you can't afford to pay somebody for this type of service, there's lots of products on YouTube or wherever. Just try Mm -hmm. to educate yourself and see what you can do. And just making your money work a bit harder for you. That's what people with wealth do. They don't just sit and keep it hidden under the mattress. They make it work for them so that, you know, the next generation will have some. They make Mm -hmm. their money work for them. So we're encouraging you to do that.
1: I got one thing I wanted to share that I hadn't shared yet. So there's this book that I read. It's called How I Invest My Money. I just read it. Just finished reading it recently. Uh, I'll send it to you in the show notes or whatnot. So the reason why I like this money is because this 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 book is financial advisors, okay, telling people how they invest their money. Mm-hmm. And, and and I think it's really powerful for you to get an inside look into what they're doing. Now, some of these people run billion-dollar RIAs. That's, you know, anytime you say billion dollars, it's pretty big, right? So it's a they're big companies. These are the CEOs of the companies. These are advisors that work for the companies. They're just people that are in the financial services industry. There's some um, great stories in there, even some people that have immigrated to this country. Why I say that's so important is because when you get to see, like, everyone wants to hear the secrets to how people that are wealthy invest their money. Well, they're trapped in books, (laughs) they're trapped online, it's all there. So when you have an opportunity, you might sit there and say, you know what? I don't have the money to pay someone to help me right now. I don't have the money to get where I wanna be. That's okay because you can do it one step at a time. You just need to make the next best step. And if it's reading a book, then read the book. If it's going online and finding a YouTube channel, then find that YouTube channel. If it's listening to a podcast like this one or some of the other ones that are out there that are gonna help you, do that. Because if you don't, you're going to, the time is still going to pass as we use in that example, 10 years is going to pass. Five years is going to pass. You look back, if you have a family, you have children, you look back at those pictures and you say, wow, Mark, our kids are are, are so much older now. And where did the time go? You can do that of one of two ways. You can look back and say, where did the time go? I didn't get anything done or where did the time go? I only had $50 a month and that $50 turned to $600 a year. And every year that 600 turned 1200, 1800, 2400. 3000 right? And you keep adding that money up. And I promise you this, I've never had a client tell me this in my entire career, 25 years in finance. Emlyn, you made me save too much money. I can't believe that. I can't believe you made me save all this money. I've never had anyone tell me that. I've never had anyone be upset about the money that they save. And yes, you were right. You do have to work hard. Yes, you do have to save, but there is some other stuff that you have to do. That's just the beginning. Don't stop there. Keep learning. Be uh, committed to educating yourself on your personal finances as
0: much as you can. Yes, absolutely. Wholeheartedly um, agree with what you're saying. And then for those people who might not even be, if you may have a family or you have other obligations, as you mentioned, people who have to support families overseas, the library is there. Make yourself available, right? We have time Right. So be wise with how you use your time. Like there's so many distractions these days. Mm -hmm. Just be, you know, if you don't have the money to buy a book that Emily mentioned, go to the library. It might be there available. It's Mm -hmm. free of cost for you to just check it out in your county Mm -hmm. or spend an hour or two, maybe once a week, just going through that book and educating yourself with stuff that's available. A lot of the books that you might have to buy online are available at the library. So there's things that are available to you. Don't just sit and feel helpless or be afraid to ask for help. Seek it out. You have to take action. Yeah, this is a country where you have to get up and take action. You can't just sit and wait for things to fall out of the sky or for somebody to hand it to you. You have to seek things out, right? Mm -hmm. Knock and you will find, as you know, for those who are of the Christian faith or be able to follow the Bible, knock and you will find, right, or seek. You have not because you ask not. So you have to seek after information and then ask questions of the people who you see are doing what are are at the place where you want to be. Ask them what are they doing? People are probably willing to share what it is that they're doing. And so um, we're going to thank Mr. Emlyn for his time today. It's been uh, awesome. Thank you for your authenticity and frankness. We'll get your details, put them in the show notes for people who are interested in working with you, checking out your podcast as well and all your other businesses that you have going to support minorities as it concerns finance.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having me and I hope hope everybody got something good from this and uh, thanks for having me. Tune in
0: next week for another episode of the Immigrant Experience in America. As this is a new podcast, we welcome any and all support. If you have not done so already, subscribe on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also support us by completing a five-star rating and review and sharing our podcast with your friends, family, and circle of influence.